we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, but let me give you a little backstory before we get to 1 Samuel 16. One verse that sets the tone for what's happening. So we're starting a new series today. We're going to go through the life of David, looking at the key parts of David's life. Uh, more than uh, any other character in the Bible, uh, we, we study, we learn about David. Um, a study of the books of the Bible shows that there are, I believe it's 66 chapters of Scripture are dedicated to David, talking about David, who he is. And then our largest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, much of it was written by David. So we'll begin a series today on the life of David, and then beginning in Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter, uh, we will um, be in a series on the Psalms of Ascent. So there were a series of Psalms that became commonly used as people were ascending to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was at a higher elevation. So as they would pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms. So it will be a life of David now, and then studying the psalms of ascent a little later. So the first king of Israel, the people's choice, the one who got the people's choice award, was a man named Saul. Um, He started off as kind of an okay guy. Uh, He was chosen uh, for, uh, in part, things like good looks and things that people really liked him. Did you know, by the way, there's a study of CEOs in Fortune 500 companies. There is a disproportionately large number of tall men who are CEOs of our nation's biggest companies. So there should be people of all shapes and sizes in companies, but even today in our modern age when we think ourselves as so rational, there is a disproportionately higher number of tall men in leadership than short men because for whatever reason we have something in us that thinks if you're tall, there's something special about you. If you're tall, you're better than average. So the height of Saul is actually mentioned in the Bible, and it was like some big deal, as though it really mattered, as though it meant he would be a good king. So the people say to Samuel, who was the last of the judges, so there's an entire book in the Bible called the book of Judges, who were leaders of Israel before they had a king. The people come to Samuel, who's an old man by this time, and he's loved the Lord all his life, followed the Lord. The story of Samuel, I remember, as a boy, he, he hears, he's grown up in the temple, he hears God talking to him three times before the priest, his mentor, says, this is the voice of God. So if you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel's name is a combination of Shema in Hebrew and El. Shema, listen, El means God. So Samuel's name, very name, means one who listens to God. Unfortunately, his children, his two boys, did not listen to God. They were far from God. They were corrupt priests, and the people did not want these corrupt priests, his sons, leading him, uh, leading the people. So the people come to Samuel and say, you're old, number one, you're going to die soon. We don't like your two corrupt sons. And the third reason we would like a king, Samuel, is because all the other nations got one, and we kind of feel weird. So, you know, we're talking to the Assyrians, we're talking to the people of other countries, and they say, yeah, who's, uh, who's your king right now? Oh, we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have a king. What? You don't have a king? Everyone has kings. 
So the people go to Samuel and say, we want a king just like every other country has a king. And Samuel warns them through the voice of the Lord and says, no, no, you don't want a king. No, the king will oppress your people. Your children will basically be treated as slaves. You will be taxed into oblivion, essentially. Uh, your young men will be conscripted for battle. No, you don't want a king. And Israel says, yeah, yeah, we want a king. So God, uh, crazy enough, remember this, because sometimes God will answer your prayers, uh, even though it's not really what he wants for you. So, so it is wise as we pray, by the way, to listen and check ourselves and say, oh, Lord, as I'm praying for this or that, do you even want me to have it? Because sometimes God will give us our prayers even though it's bad. So anyway, fast forward, Saul, pretty quickly, becomes a bad king. And so Samuel says to Saul, speaking through God in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, but now your kingdom, that is Saul's kingdom, will not endure the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So King Saul very quickly develops this habit of breaking the very explicit instructions and commands God has given to Saul through Samuel. God has finally had enough and said, Saul, you're not going to be king. For much longer. I'm bringing someone else in. And there comes in David. So here we go. We're going to talk back. So when I say King David, what are some words that come to your mind? What? What? Shepherd boy. All right. What else? David and Bathsheba. Yeah. Killed Goliath. What else? When I say King David, what do you, what do you first think of? Songs? What else? A creeper. <laughs> so a creeper. Yeah, he was kind of a creeper. Yeah, he's spying on this lady. She's thinking of, Yeah, killed his own general. Yeah. So true. That is, that is so true. So here you have this man described in Scripture. We're actually going to, we will be talking about that. How can someone be a man after God's own heart when you read about him and he's kind of a creeper he's spying on this lady taking a bath and then he basically rapes her because when the king wants you you don't really get to say no so she was an adult it's not like she's screaming out but basically he raped her because there's not much choice she had in the matter i mean remember he had the power to kill her husband and he did and this is a man god says is a man after his own heart. Well, one answer to that, we'll talk more about it in this message series, but one part of that, one explanation is uh, power corrupts and absolute power can kind of corrupt absolutely. But at the time, Samuel says to Saul, David is a man after my own heart. He, he really is walking with the Lord. He hasn't had the opportunity for all of this power to start to corrupt him. By the way, the story of almost, uh, I think every king, yeah, without exception. There, there's kings that were known as evil in the Bible, and there's some that were, they walked with God, but still, over and over and over in all of these stories, you watch this very 
disappointing, scary reality. I might actually need to preach this at some point. The, the reality that as these kings aged, they became lazy in their sanctification, in their growing. So they start off, the, the good ones, the evil ones are just evil through and through from the beginning of the reign to the end. But you see this pattern developing, which is probably a thing that we should all be weary of, that you, you, you start off walking close to the Lord, and as you grow older, as these kings grew older, they grew further and further from the Lord. See, we tend to think, oh, the older you get as a Christian, the more you will get closer and closer to God, when actually in Scripture we see over and over and over, the older you get, the easier it is to just get lazy and not care about God. But at the time Samuel says this, David is a shepherd boy, as Sharon said. So what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What does it mean to be a woman after God's own heart? The funny thing in the Bible is God says David is a man after his own heart. He doesn't actually define what that is. So through this message series, we're going to have to study and try to figure out, okay, God says David is a man after his own heart. We will have to study to try to figure out different attributes of David and, and say, okay, this is one thing we see in David. Is that something God is referring to when God says David is a man after his own heart? So we're barely even going to get into the life of David today. But um, let's see, Terrence, I'll do this clicking for you if it works. There we go. Clarence, I don't know if I did that or you did that, but it worked. Uh, I did it. Oh, perfect. The Lord said to Samuel, here if you have your Bibles, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? So right before this in chapter 15, God has spoken to Saul through Samuel, saying, you will have the kingdom torn from you. And, and Samuel is mourning this. So he's grown a relationship with, with Saul. He's irritated that Saul continually disobeys. But, but Samuel anointed Saul as king, and Samuel is quite a, quite a bit older. So in some ways, it's like he sees Saul as kind of an adopted son to him. So he has mourned that God is going to take the kingdom away from Saul, this man that he has watched grow up in the kingship. And God finally has enough and said, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil. So the practice of anointing a king in the Old Testament was you would, they would fill, a priest would fill up a, a ram's horn filled with oil, special oil. It actually smelled really good. There's instructions on how to prepare it in the book of Leviticus. Uh, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. There we go. So here's a map of Judah in the time of David. Judah was this area in Israel. I've circled in a red dot there. Let's see if this will work. See right, right there? That's Bethlehem. Just a little south of Jerusalem and just a little north of Jerusalem was where Samuel lived in Ramah. So Samuel goes down to Bethlehem to anoint David. But he doesn't know who he's going to anoint. But Samuel said, how can I go Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to 
the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So God says to Samuel, Samuel, go to Bethlehem. There's a man named Jesse there. You're going to anoint one of his sons as king of Israel. Well, uh, in most countries, that's considered treason to say, oh, we're just going to choose for ourselves a new king. Samuel understands this and says, if Saul finds out that I have just anointed a new king, Saul will kill me. So God says to give Samuel this plan of how to protect himself. So he says, take a heifer with you. So a young cow, you're going to go and you're going to have this sacrifice. So if anyone hears about it, all they're going to hear is that you have gone God, for some reason, has told you to go to this particular city and sacrifice to me. So they just think you're going to go down to Bethlehem to have church service, basically. And you're going to invite. You're just going to go down there and invite Jesse, this man, to the worship service with you and invite his children. So the best thing I could compare this to today, because priests in ancient times were celebrities. They're a big deal. So picture that Billy Graham has invited you and your family to a special private worship service. That's kind of what's happening here. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Sometimes prophets would come to cities and declare uh, judgment on the people. So they're afraid. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. They couldn't just show up. They had to prepare themselves for this worship. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. So Eliab is the oldest of all of the sons, and in ancient culture, the, the oldest son was the most special. The oldest son gets the inheritance. The oldest son has all of the responsibilities. The oldest one, simply because he's oldest, he's probably going to be the most mature. He's, he's going to probably be the, the best at battle, and he's best educated because he gets all the special treatment because he's the oldest. So Samuel, understanding, being a part of his culture, understanding what it means to be the oldest son, sees Jesse's oldest son and just assumes, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. By the way, if you are someone who underlines in your Bible or writes in it, this would be a great verse to underline. Do not consider his appearance or his height. See, apparently Samuel thought Eliab, maybe because he was really tall, thought height is something special. Remember, because we have this disproportionately high number of CEOs who are really tall, because we have something in us that looks at the outward appearance and thinks, wow, they're tall, wow, they're this, they're that, they, they must be special. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks, or woman, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Let, let me just pause and talk about that. As I am reading this and studying these stories of David, <clears throat> verses like this are pretty convicting. Uh, so let's just be blunt, right? So Grace Tabernacle has had an interesting history where it's 
uh, it slowly declined in attendance for one reason, because, because in our past, in our culture in America, we don't know what to do with people who look differently from us, right? And praise God that we are becoming a people that doesn't care about race, and we're becoming, we're going from an all-white congregation to a multicultural congregation, and I, I love that. I tell you, I love that. I love that we are becoming a people that understand, eh, we're all God's children. So if you look different from us, if you talk different from us, boy, I was having breakfast with Daniel and Tamuski, and it was, it, it was such an interesting thing because Tamuski, he spoke very little English. Most of the time he was translating through Daniel. Tamuski would talk for about two, you know, two or three minutes of the, at a time, and then Daniel would translate it back to me. And it would take them about 10 seconds. And I'm thinking, something's getting lost in translation there. But they're talking about, and they're giving their testimonies to me of how they had become Christians in Africa. And it was just, I just got choked up at one point thinking, man, God is a global God, right? We, unfortunately, in America, we have this background, even in background in our churches, where, where we kind of think, well, the people who look just like us, we're the ones who've got the close relationship with God. And all these other people, we're not too sure. It was just this awesome reminder that the same God here in the United States is the same God over in Ethiopia, is the same God in China, is the same God in Russia. And he, and he, doesn't, he doesn't look at outward appearance. He looks at the heart, which is this amazing reminder to us, but also a scary thing as well, right? So, so Jesus' harshest words, harshest words in all four Gospels are for who? The religious people, the people, the, the preachers, basically, the preachers of, of his day, the teachers. So it, it's this amazing reminder that God doesn't, God doesn't look at the parents. I'm not very tall, I don't have a good preaching voice. My voice is kind of high and girly, you know. I, but God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. But that's also kind of scary because sometimes, I mean, let's face it, I've grown up in church. I don't know about you. I can put on a really good church show. If you've grown up in church long enough, you, you know exactly this song comes up and this is where you raise your hand, right? Or, or you know how to put in a good amen, right? I, I would love to hear more amens. It helps me going as I'm preaching. But you, you know how to, you can quote that cliche Bible verse at just the right time. You can very non-discreetly put that tithe check in the plate and look around. You know, we, we can do all these things that are really churchy, right? Just like the Pharisees. We can, we can go to the temple and we can put our tithe in or we can, we can pray loudly in the streets, right? And God says, that doesn't, doesn't mean anything, just as you shouldn't be afraid, don't be concerned about your outward appearance. God doesn't care about your outward appearance. He looks at the heart. It's so encouraging and yet convicting at the same time to remind myself as a preacher and as a pastor, my outward churchy things, God doesn't care about that. He wants to know my heart. So am I doing these outward things, but internally my heart is so far from him. That's what he cares about. Let's go, let's go on. Then Jesse, remember Jesse is the father of all these boys, including David. Then Jesse called Abinadab. Uh, if you are expecting another child, consider that name. It's a good one. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, 
the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. So they're going down, and, and probably what was happening, because the cultural expectation was you present you present the most special, the oldest son, and you go down. So each son that was presented to Samuel, one after another, was probably younger and younger and younger. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, he's probably getting a little confused here, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have, I mean, God told me I'm supposed to anoint one of your sons, but he's telling me none of these sons are the ones. Are these all the sons you have? Listen to Jesse's response. Man, can you imagine if this was your dad? Oh, they're still the youngest, but he's, he's tending the sheep. So, so Billy Graham has come to you and said, I would like to have a private worship service just with you and your family. Call all your family together. And your daddy doesn't think to call you in from working out in the fields. You're not, you're not even worthy of the invitation. Ah, someone would have to go out into the field. He's out. Who knows where he is right now with the sheep? That's too much of a hassle. We'll just start this thing without him. I mean, imagine if you are David and you come back, you come back that night, or maybe you have to stay out in the fields a couple nights, and you find out this celebrity of your day, this priest, this judge, Samuel. I mean, Sam, remember, Samuel has so much power and authority that he was the nut one who anointed king. So King Saul has power, right? But the one who anoints the king, the one who gives the kingship, that's the guy who's got the real power. And he just came to spend some time with your family. And you find out about it after the fact. Kind of, kind of tough. They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So again, kind of the outward appearance. But Samuel has learned his lesson by now, and he sees a boy that apparently is kind of, he's kind of a good-looking boy for his day, but Samuel has learned doesn't mean anything. So he's, he's still waiting. Then the Lord said, and these are the words you are waiting, he's waiting for, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. So uh, there's another map here just to help you get an idea. Bethlehem is down at the bottom. Ramah is way up at the top. So they go back about their, about their way. So this is kind of a funny story. Um, I mean, picture, uh, remember what, what you were like as a teenager. I know for some of you that will be a hard memory. But, so picture it. You're a teenage boy, a teenage girl. You just come back home. This really, really old guy that you probably never met before walks up to you, takes this big old thing of oil and just goes, and dumps it on your head, and then leaves. So, I mean, I don't know what I would think. I mean, just picture that. It's kind of a strange thing. Do you know how hard it is to get oil out of your hair? Kind of difficult. And here, Dave, David, this teenage boy, just walks in. It's really old, maybe kind of weird, scruffy-looking guy, walks up to him. 
takes his big old jar olive oil scented with perfume and just goes, and he goes back home. This is an odd, odd story, especially if you're a teenage boy and you're now learning what it means. You're a teenager and you have just found out you are about to be king. Now, your father and brothers didn't think to invite you to the special service, but then when you finally had to come in, you just found out you're going to be king over them. Kind of a, kind of a weird story. So we're going to talk about today, just three parts. Remember, so this whole time throughout the study of David, we'll, we will have to figure out for ourselves what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Because God says David is a person, a man after his own heart, but he doesn't say, and this is what a man after my own heart is. We are left to figure this out. So we'll just talk about three of them today and not go very far into the story. And I... Uh, uh, I, I meant to put this last scripture in there, but we'll, um, we'll talk about it. You can turn to it in your Bible. So here's three things, three reasons why I think God says David is a man after his own heart. We see him from, from the passage, or the passage we're about to read. He's humble, he's content, and he's patient. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What does it mean to be a a woman after God's own heart. Well, I think, I think one thing is it means we've got to be humble. And, and if you're a person after God's own heart, you rely on Him, you follow Him, you, you only want what He wants. So if you're doing that, you're going to be con- content. You're not going to want things that God doesn't want. You'll be happy. You ever been around someone who's just, they never have anything positive to say? You, oh, drive, drives me crazy. But, but someone who, you ask them about this or that, and they always lead with the negative. It's a pers- that's a person who's not content. That is a person who, for whatever reason, they have not yet figured out that their unhappiness is because they don't have a proper relationship with God. So nothing will ever be as fulfilling as it should be because their happiness, their contentedness, doesn't emanate from their relationship with God. They're trying to get it through external things. And last, if you're a person after God's own heart, I think you're going to be patient because you humbly understand God's timing is best. You are content with your circumstances because you know God is in control and you want to follow Him. Therefore, you will be patient and not seek out your desires in your timetable. You will be patient and let Him lead and not try to take things into your own Hands. So I don't have this next scripture in, on the screen, but uh, just a few verses later. Chapter 16, verse 14. King Saul is spiraling out of control. Uh, if uh, a psychologist analyzed him today, they'd probably say he's manic depressive or something like that. But, but the Bible has a more accurate ex- explanation of what's, of what's happening. <clears throat> which is probably a message for another time because it's kind of confusing. But chapter 16, verse 14, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's a weird verse, but we don't have time for that today. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play 
the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So there was an ancient belief at this time about the basically kind of magic, magical is not the right word, but the, the powerful influence of music. And, and ancient peoples, many ancient peoples, you can find it in some of their writings, truly believed that, that music had some of this weird power to it that they couldn't understand, but they felt like they, they believed in kind of the common beliefs that if you played the right music, it would drive away evil spirits. So you have kind of this kind of religion of the masses here, Saul's attendant saying, oh, let's just find a, mu- a musician, a good musician who will help keep these evil spirits away from you. That's essentially what they're saying. They think it's kind of like a, a medicine. <clears throat> so let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, great, find someone. Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Now pay attention here. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem. David has already been anointed at this time. <clears throat> He's already been anointed. Now pay attention to where he is. Where do they go to find this one who has been anointed possibly years earlier? I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, David, pay attention, who is with the sheep. Send me your son, who, by the way, has already been anointed king of Israel, possibly maybe even a few years back. And this teenage boy, does he have some swagger now? Has he gone to get some business cards that say King Elect? Does he go to Jerusalem and say, hey, Saul, guess what? I'm coming. He's been anointed king, and then the story progresses. They find out, they, they know, someone, one of Saul's attendants knows that he's a good musician. They go to seek him out. And where do they go to find the king-elect? Where do they go to find the one who has been anointed as king of Israel? Same place he was before he was anointed king. It was sheep. See, that's why I think those words, those three words I mentioned, a few reasons why I think David was a man after God's own heart for things like contentedness, Humility, patience. Imagine the amount of humility you've got to have when the man of God, the man who anointed the current king, the man who gave power for Saul to become king, has come to you and anointed you and said, you're next. And and really, honestly, not next, because when someone was anointed as king, They became king in that moment. That's how it worked in ancient culture. So really, David was already king, but his predecessor refused to give up control. How much humility does it require when God has called you to something, and maybe there's others that kind of stand in the way of that for their own sinfulness, and you just, 
You just keep doing what you're doing. Because you're content. Because you know God was the one that called you. You don't have to fight your own battles. You don't have to boast about who you are. God is the one that anointed you. So you're content. You just keep doing your thing. Keep being responsible. Keep, as Paul, Paul uses, he uses this idea, talks about um, using the, the analogy of, of someone who, who was a Christian and, and they want to change their circumstances. I think actually the concept was slavery at the time. But he says, whatever, whatever thing you were in when you were called, if you were a servant and you want to become free, well, great. If you can gain your freedom, do so. But be content in that. You know, so David understands he has, he has been anointed king when he was a shepherd. So apparently God was okay with being a shepherd. So he's going to just continue being a shepherd until God tells him to do something else. And he's content with that. And he's patient. God has already called him. God just showed up through the man Samuel and said, you're king. And he trusts God's timing. Pastors all the time hear from people in their congregations say, God has called me to do this. And they bring it to the pastor, and, and the idea, the expectation is, I heard from God, which may honestly be, be true, I heard from God about doing this, starting this, participating in this way, and therefore, pastor, next week, by golly, we got to start it. Well, sometimes, sometimes God may have called you, but sometimes before, before you begin to participate in that call, you wait do you know, I, I first felt a call to ministry when I was 14. And then for a few years, I didn't know what exactly that call would mean. Then I, it was confirmed through growing and maturity and study. Uh, my junior year of college, I, I felt a definite call to be a pastor. So that would have been 2006 to, two, no, 2005 to 2006. And I didn't become a pastor until 2013. So God had called me years earlier, and I had to wait. And to be honest, sometimes it was very, very tough to wait, because I'd show up in these churches sometimes. We'd have to move around and participate in different churches, and boy, it, it was amazing. Almost every church we ever attended, I could have pastored so much better than the pastor who was pastoring. You know what I mean? So God had to grow me and teach me and teach me to wait and say, yeah, I've called you. Yeah, I've called you to be a pastor, but not now. So what do you care about more? Do you care about your call, or do you care about the one who called you? If you care about the one who called you, you will wait. You will be humble. You will be content in him and not in your circumstances. And you will be patient. That's someone who is a man after God's own heart. In other weeks, we'll, we'll t look about other attributes of David to see more about how, how is he a man after God's own heart. In fact, one week, we'll, we'll talk about what, what Pepe pointed out, his, his adultery and his sin, but then we'll also study about, apparently, to be a man after God's own heart means that you quickly repent. You quickly repent when a man of God comes up to you and says, you're the man, you repent. So anyway, so that's, that's, that's this week. To, to be a, a person after God's own heart is someone who is humble. 
What does that look like in your life and my life? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I've, I have some ideas for me, but for you, I'm not sure. What, what does it mean to be humble? Well, if you're still working, if you're not yet retired, it, it might mean that you just kind of put up with a boss who might be kind of dumb, sinful. You might honestly be a better boss. You might be a better supervisor. You might be, like David, a better king. But for whatever reason, you're not in that position at this time. So you stay humble. You don't go around bad-mouthing your boss. I've done that before. Man, I look back and think, man, what an idiot I was for doing that. You don't go around bad-mouthing your boss. You just you stay humble. Or, or, or with your parents. Scripture talks about honoring your parents. And whether you're young or old, you've got parents unless they've already passed away. So maybe humility is, as James talks about, biting your tongue, right? Maybe, maybe you are right. Maybe your parents don't have a clue and they're really, really dumb. Or maybe you just need to wait and grow. And maybe you're 40 years old and you're still struggling interacting with your parents, but you stay humble. I don't know what it looks like for you. What does it look like to be content? Well, in our culture, the, I think, honestly, one of the best ways to tell if you are content as a person. In our American culture, it might look different in other places. What are your spending habits like? Do you know there's a Harvard study? They hooked up people to some MRIs and had them do purchases. They found that when people purchase things that they wanted, new things, it activated certain neurons in their brain that were also activated during worship. So quite literally, buying stuff can, can connect, can do something to your brain that also happens when you interact with God. In other words, your purchasing can become your God. And so if you're someone who is constantly spending, constantly in debt, always needs more and more and more and more and more, well, you're probably not content. And probably you're not content because you don't have a right relationship with God because if you were, you wouldn't need the other things, right? It's like you start with God first and then you fill it in. It's like what your mom always said about you, you don't... You don't eat the dessert, you spoil your appetite. You know, you, the dessert is last after you've had your fill of the right things. So, or, or maybe, maybe you're just someone who uh, is always really negative. If you're not sure if that's you, if, if you're married, you can ask your spouse. They, they might tell you. But honestly, if you've been negative so, so long, they might be afraid to say it. But if you're someone who just, the glass is always half empty, you might not be content you might not have a relationship with God like you need to. And therefore, you constantly have this low-line frustration because at some level, intuitively, your spirit understands there is something wrong. As sometimes it's called, we've got this God-shaped hole in us, and you're constantly filling that hole with other stuff, and then it goes away. And so it's like it can create this constant angst and frustration in us. And it just makes you an unhappy person. And then you're patient. A man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart is patient. 
which is kind of like the other two before it. You wait on Him. You're not about now, now, now. You wait on God's timing. You let Him guide your steps. You ask Him before you make a big decision, before you make a big purchase, before you say something. You trust His timing. And sometimes His timing seems really, really slow. And, and you seek Him and you, you trust and you, you wait on His timing. Right? Was it, was it tough not having a job for months and months and months? <laughs> and then right at the right time, God just gets a job. So those are the three for this week. Next week we'll, we'll talk about some different ones and we'll, um, we'll have communion, by the way, next, next Sunday. So this week I just want to invite you on this journey as we're going to be studying David. Uh, and invite you to read the stories of David to try to figure out what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart. Read the stories of David. There's a lot of good stories about him. But there's also a lot of really bad, embarrassing ones. And yet he's a man after God's own heart. In other words, he's just like us. He's, he's someone who, at times, man, he's just doing everything right. And other times, he just did everything wrong. And God loved him. And God used him. And God said, I like that guy. So re- read the stories with me this week. A lot of them you can find start in 1 Samuel 16, and then the stories go on and on. He, he reigned for 40 years, so there's a lot of stories about him. And this week, ask yourself, how can I, how can I be more humble? How can I be more content? How, how can I be more patient? And by the way, the difference from some like self-help message is the answer is to those questions, you can't. You cannot be more humble. You cannot be more patient. You cannot be more content unless you're right with Christ. And I say all the time, I don't think your church attendance means anything about whether or not you're right with Christ. So it starts there. How can I be more humble, content, patient? Well, you've got to have a relationship with the one who can provide more humility, patience, contentedness. And if you don't have a relationship with the one who can provide that, you might try this week, but you'll fail. See, Grace Tabernacle, we're a place that believes Christ is the one that we need to have the relationship with. We, we believe it's salvation by, by grace alone. You can't do anything to earn it. So, so I hope you didn't hear this week, oh, man, I've got to be more patient. No, no, you've you got to grow in your relationship with Christ so that he can provide more patience. You've got to be more humble. No, you've you got to grow in your relationship with Christ so that His humility, Scripture talks about Christ being humble, so that His humility comes through you. Same with contentedness. You've got to be content with Jesus. And when you're content with Jesus, all the other areas of contentedness just kind of fall into place. Let's pray. Father, what, a, what an interesting story, a story we read about the life of, of David. This one who, in the eyes of his own family, is not very important. What an encouragement to us if we feel like we are not important, if we feel like we're, we're so unimportant God can never use us, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our boss, they, 
make it clear they don't think we're very important. What an amazing story of an encouragement that if we feel that way, that God can still use someone who seems like a nobody in the eyes of the world, like a nobody to his own family. And yet God says, I want to use you. I'm going to use you in amazing ways. I want to bless you. So what an encouragement. Father, what a reminder as as we read the story of, of David, this convicting reminder that sometimes we are so full of impatience. We lack humility. We're not content. And so uh, most of us, I feel like, or I confess, at least me, I, if I've been anointed king, I don't, I don't think I'd be comfortable going back out in the fields with the dirty sheep. I think I was too special for that now. So what a convicting story to read about this man who, who is so content with you, this one who, as he was out in the fields as a shepherd writing these psalms, to you on his harp. This young boy who, even though he's been anointed as king, doesn't faze him. Because his relationship with you is right, and everything else flows out of that. And so he's perfectly content, content to go back, keep working in the fields until your timing. Father, what, what, a, what a story to be reminded As you said to Samuel, you do not judge the outward appearance. Father, forgive us. Forgive us as a people, as individuals, as Grace Tabernacle, for in our past judging outward appearance, whether it's skin color or height, like in the story here, or wealth or lack of wealth or education or lack of education, all these outward things we judge. Forgive us, Father. Give us hearts who judge the way you do, who, who are more focused on a person's heart than any outward, yeah, whatever. Give us, give us eyes to see the way you see, Father. And Lord, for any here who this week, they will fail trying to be more humble, more content, more patient because they don't have a relationship with you. Father, wake them up. I cannot do that. Only your Holy Spirit can. Father, wake them up today. As the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament, wake up, O sleeper. Give them eyes today to see and to understand the gospel. This amazing message that Jesus Christ came, lived, and died to forgive their sins. Wake them up to the truth that they can be forgiven of their sins. That they can stand in right relationship with you. That they can come to know the true and living God. And then and only then will they ever be more content, more patient, more humble. Father, wake them up today. 
Father, give us, give us your eyes. Give us your understanding as we continue to study this life of this very complex man, King David, a man who sinned greatly but also repented greatly, who loved you so much, who was a man after your own heart. Father, make us as, as an entire congregation here and as individuals, people who would be known as people after your own heart. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.